Welcome to the next episode of Splitting Cases with Pointy and the Moose. Nick Belligan. Yeah. Well, I think with that kind of with that kind of conversation, we're working our way into the 2000s, and the 2000s weren't quite as prolific uh, of a decade for Australian rock as the 90s were. I don't know. It's a it's a hard call to make. I think in some ways, especially internationally, the 2000s kind of had some success. Like okay. the vines were really really big. That's true. And I was only listening to I was only listening to the vines the other day, just going, "Holy shit! I forgot how much I love these guys." Yeah. Well, I, I think I mentioned it on the the first podcast we did on UMI that I got Deliverance and uh, Highly Evolved at the same time. And I latched on to Highly Evolved more because it was just immediate, like, you can sort yeah. of get into it. For a band to have their debut album to sound like that was pretty amazing and that well, Letterman performance. Highly yeah. Evolved, Out of the Way, Get Free, Mary Jane. Like, there's an amazing... Ain't No Room. There's an amazing array of songs on that album. Mm. That was the the rock revival period, as they called it, when the hives and the... Even white... though it never went anywhere. Oh, no, well, in its own, yeah, I mean... It was meant to be the big rock revival. I guess the strokes, yeah, I know what you mean, the strokes appeared and everyone was saying rock is back and the vines sort of happened to explode at that particular time. And they, and they definitely deserve to. I know that... I, mean, I saw it was an American awards show and uh, it, well, it might have been MTV video music perhaps, but like the vines got up and played just before the hives and the white stripes and all three yeah. were really fresh at the time. And they kind of almost played... It wasn't quite a medley, but... They were kind of on back to back. They played all three of their songs and all yeah. different stages, and I was like the vines, and then the highs, and the white stripes. You know, and they were kind of like the poster childs for for this rock revival, as they called it. But I think exploding is the right word with the vines. Like Craig Nichols from Woe to Go, even on his latest stuff, as as, as uh, didn't have the same kind of urgency, but he explodes he vocally and guitar wise. He just kind of just bursts out and uh, the songs are great oh he's a he's a really talented guy um he'd be, he'd be doing some incredible things if he wasn't battling his illness mm. well i think they're about to release two new albums yeah they are yeah. oh really i'm yeah. really excited about that because oh, we did yeah. see them perform at homebeck a couple of years ago and it was just um we the saw last their show at the metro as well that's true and yeah. both of those were the last um version last shows they did with the version of that lineup and now he's got a couple of new guys involved and mm. Um, I think that he very much is the vines with that voice, very much like Powderfinger. He's great, but Bernard Fanning can carry on that voice in the same vein and do that thing, you know. I saw them at the the Cambridge, the vines, and they lifted the roof. Like, yeah, he's um, he's an immense talent. There's no, I don't think anyone's ever doubted that, and they probably would have, you know, continued to grow to some extent because, I, from what I understand and from what I've heard as well, you know. The, the music that came out after that first album was still pretty solid. It was still some good good stuff. Well, I think there was a but lot of... I think the second album was just as strong as the first yeah. one. Yeah. Winning Days was amazing. To begin with Ride and then to... Yeah. Near the end was Fuck the World and sorry, FTW. And, like, it was an amazing fucking album. they weren't able to tour it. I don't think they toured the third album at all. I think they just had to release it because he wasn't in Vision fixed. Valley? 
Yeah. The third one? And yeah. Eddie can play bass on that, didn't he? Yeah, I think he did. And they just weren't in any... Well, he wasn't in any position to tour. No. And touring does help. Um, there's no two ways yeah. help him, yeah. So, look, I, you know, there's still time for him. He's, he's still relatively young. I, I hope Craig sort of is able to get through it because he's always been a massive... Massive talent. Mm. There's no two ways about it. Probably couldn't talk about the 2000s in Australian rock without mentioning Jet. Yeah. Mm. They were a huge international success for Australia. And that album, though pastiches of different... Though a pastiche of different bands, was a really strong album. Get Born. Yeah, no question. And they probably were on the, the coattails of that the so-called rock revival as well, where I think particularly um, big labels overseas were looking for great rock bands and are you gonna be my girl translates to any country i suppose i think they've got some pretty even apart from the shameless lust for life yeah (laughs) it is very close to lust for life yeah on that like cold hard bitch and roll over dj like there was there's quite a few really strong songs on that album oh yeah i'm not taking anything yeah. away from it like mm. i think that really is a strong album i'm not sure they did yeah look what you've done i'm not sure they did much else after that hey i think the second album like though pitchfork released that monkey pissing in its own mouth picture is a review. fuck pitchfork, pitchfork. <laughs> i mean i read it basically for entertainment not, like I, I'm not reading it because I care what they say I'm just like oh I wonder what they're going to say about this album that's actually yeah. good yeah. yeah but I think that had it, its share of okay songs on I think Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is was a good first single I think if anybody else had released that it would have got much less shit on you know I think Put Your Money it feels like an oasis it does uh, it does well, they had that sound but by way of the Beatles I think that was, yeah the Beatles was a huge influence on, on Jet and but I mean like Eleanor like a more acoustic track off the end of that album is really really sweet it's really good and there was a few great tracks on that album it wasn't it wasn't Get Born it wasn't classic but it was good talking about that kind of style and that kind of time unfortunately uh, a band that tried for a similar thing was End of Fashion it didn't quite achieve the same thing but you know apart from oh yeah I thought some of the tracks off that first album were really tight and the second album with like Down or Down and mm. Fussy like they really made a red hot go of it and I, I appreciated what they did I did see them at the Cambridge uh, maybe when their first EP came out and I thought they were they were pretty good you definitely saw them when LMNOP supported at the Bar on the Hill as well I remember seeing them there mm. yeah but I didn't really get into them too much but, um, but I remember Sleepy Jackson around that time was yeah. really yeah. really well, fucking Burford good well came from Sleepy Jackson yeah well I guess yeah, him and Dan, yeah. Dan the guitarist I um I feel terrible for End of Fashion because I'm a massive fan and I love both of, both of well I've done a third album now I just didn't say both albums the third album wasn't was great. the guy from End of Fashion it was that okay. bagged out yeah like really yeah and sternly yeah yeah I feel I feel sorry for him I think he's got reason to be angry in a sense because I think the songs off the second album were radio worthy. But like, it's it really hard to know. Because, like, Oh Yeah is a catchy pop song, and they flogged Oh Yeah, and then they brought this album where every track is almost like a little pop gem. Exactly. 
Like every track on, on, on Book of Lies. I fucking love it. Is, is flawless. It's like seamless pop writing. Uh, and if you if you can kind of appreciate that, uh, I, was, I was listening to it the other day. I hadn't listened to now it. Now I want years. to listen to it again. Yeah, it, it's it's brilliant. There's a song. It's, it's just an absolutely huge anthem called. Um, oh, which one is it? Down or down. Force, I of, like Force of Habit. Force of Habit. Yeah. Right? I love Down or Down. Force of Habit. I love yeah. all the American. Yeah. American is a great song. Um, and I, I rated it. I remember interviewing. America. Sorry. No, you're right. I remember interviewing Justin Burford around that time and I said to him, man, like, it's just a cracking follow-up. And I was so enthusiastic and he, he was like, oh, thanks, mate. And, you know, we're talking about it. And then they went out on the tour, which that interview would have been promoting, and it just it just bombed because Triple J hadn't played any of those songs. They said that Fussy was too much of a commercial pop hit. Commercial radio said it was, you know, too left of centre. Uh, yeah. I know that the Sea Bellies supported them on that tour. And uh, it was really quiet. I just felt it was one of the great injustices because it was such a yeah. brilliant, brilliant record. Well, I, I, mean, I love End of Fashion. I think he's, Justin's a great, great rock musician. agree especially with the book of lies album it's fantastic but there were a lot of great songwriters that at the time didn't get a lot of recognition though sleepy jackson's first album got a lot of play the second album personality one was a bird one's great a spider, is an amazing album oh, it's, it's one of the fucking classics it's, it's so great there needs but to be another sleepy jackson album there does but it didn't get like a lot of radio play it didn't get a lot of attention and it had God Lead Your Soul and Devil Was In My Yard like it was an amazing album I understand which one but I don't agree uh, oh that's a great song and the funny thing was that Luke Steele like I mean fucking talking about Steele it's a little birdie holy shit um, but talking about Luke Steele he achieved his success with Empire of the Sun like all the investment that the record label put into him was not delivered on with Sleepy Jackson technically it was all Empire of the Sun yeah he Definitely uh, made their money back with Empire of the Sun. <laughs> I know that they spent, I think it was EMI, spent a massive amount of money on that um, Once Was a Spider yeah. album. Such a great album. Yeah, oh, it's just, it's phenomenal, you know, produced by Scott Horscroft. Um, it's, it kind of it, it exemplifies Luke Steele's uh, approach to songwriting. It's like yeah. just. It's eclectic. And- visionary excess, you know. There's one track on there that. When I was interviewing Luke about the album, he said there was like 140 vocal overdubs of his own voice. It sounds like when you listen to the record, it sounds like this choir of angels. And it's like waves of sound. And it's just him overdubbing his voice over and over again to create this, you know, this wall of sound. And it's hugely ambitious, but it's like, it's just a a masterpiece from start to finish. Uh, Probably way too, you know, esoteric for most know standard sort of radio listeners like it's uh i don't think it didn't sell very well compared to what they spent on it but then you know he, t- he teamed up with nick little more to do empire of the sun and the rest is history he's made yeah. he's made people millions of dollars off that project but i still prefer sleepy jackson as good as empire of the sun can be he's a really interesting guy i've, I've had a few fun sort of run-ins with him the first was down at for a, i was doing an interview with him for riot magazine in mm. sydney they used to do a monthly thing where they'd sit down with an artist and you'd play about you know, 10 songs to them. And some of the, some was meant to be their own material and other tracks by artists who have had an influence on them. 
so I put together this really well thought out track list of stuff and um he kind of he walked into the office I remember with the guitar around him like like an acoustic guitar around his neck there strumming away as he walked in he's an eccentric guy and uh I sort of shook his hand and then we got led into this little room we were going to do the interview and they had some intern this uh, girl working there who was interning and uh, you know, doing work experience and she um, I think the editor came out and said, oh, is it okay if she sits in on the interview and, you know, so she can kind of watch how it all unfolds and whatnot. And he was like just super casual, wasn't saying anything. And, and uh, I'd put quite a lot of thought into these songs. I, I kind of knew what artists he loved. Yeah. And I'd also pulled out some obscure stuff of his because he, he, um, he was in a little side project called, I think it was called Nations by the River mm. with the guys from Galveston and Ben Lee, I think. I, I picked this song where he duets with Sarah Blasco on it and stuff. I picked some early Sleepy Jackson tracks. And anyway, we sat down and I opened with... Um, I knew I was a big Brian Wilson fan, so I played mm. God Only Knows. And uh, it started up and he kind of went, oh, he, like the second he heard it, he was like, oh, he's in this trance. Mm. And um, I, I was just sort of sort of watching him. And then he turned to this girl and he said, um, like the song that he started, he's like, oh... Is it okay if you leave? Like, it might need some privacy, like, because it's going to get a bit intense. And she went, okay. <laughs> she, like, scampered from the room. And I was like, oh, fucking hell. What? Like, anyway, um, yeah, he just, like, it was this really awesome interview, but he was, like, really in the zone talking about his love of Brian Wilson and, and whatnot. And so that was one weird experience. And then the other was um, when I went down to Sydney to interview Empire of the Sun, and the album hadn't even come out yet at that stage. It was just... I'd just been invited down and I knew it was Luke Steele and I knew it was Nick Littlemore from mm. Pinal. It's like, yeah, I'll go down. So I was the last inter- their last interview of the day and I was in this hotel on Circular Quay and they were in this hotel room and I walked in and they'd kind of, they didn't trash the room, but they'd pretty much trash the room. <laughs> like they'd been smoking in the room and just ashing on the carpet. It was like a beautiful five-star hotel. There's just ash everywhere. They'd emptied the mini bar. There was this empty little, like, spirit bottles just scattered across the carpet. And I'm like, fuck, what's going on here? And uh, we ended up, I ended up talking to them for, like, 90 minutes. This long, rambling interview, just talking about weird, random shit. Some of it was about the album. And finally, <laughs> finally um, the publicist, uh, the EMI publicist came in and he was like, oh, guys, you know, we've got to clear out. Like, we, we, don't, we don't have the room for the whole night kind of thing. And I went, they went, all right, well, let's get out of here. So I, I walked with them down to the, the foyer and they were there chatting, chatting. I was just standing there, like, kind of waiting to say goodbye to them. And then uh, finally I went, oh, well, I better head off, guys. I'll, I'll see you later. And they went, where are you going? We're going for a drink. I was like, uh, oh, really? Like, yeah, yeah, come, yeah, come out with us. So I walked over to the, to the opera house with them. And uh, they just shouted me drinks for a couple of hours, just talking about music and, and stuff they were doing and... The, the, a lot of talk was about the album like mm. they, were, they were like oh we're, we're going to get these remixes done he's like oh I'm friends with what's his name from the killers I'll send him a message and mm. he was texting the guy from the killers <laughs> and sort of thing and it was, a, it was a really funny experience but they were very they were very generous both of yeah. them and they had like huge uh, expectations of the album they were talking about it like it was gonna man this album is gonna change things you know I think that um, there was that quote from um, Luke a little while ago saying, oh, Nick Littlemore wants to go and do Pinyao and this and that. And, well, I've tried to get him on board for these Empire of the Sun shows. And I don't know, like, why the fuck is he not waking up for $5 million for four shows, you know? Like, I love that after all that time, Luke Steele was slogging away, working on this amazing stuff that he's getting $5 million for four shows. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it took them to another level. Yeah. Um, meeting Nick, I'd interviewed him once before that. Um, he, he's every bit as off the wall as, as mm. Luke is. Like, mm. it, so it sort of, in a way, doesn't surprise me. They just sort of do what they, what they want to do. Uh, I don't know why Nick's never, never wanted to get up and, and perform with them. I don't, don't know why that is. And Luke Steele is surely someone that would love to do it and does do it. I, I think, I, from what I understand, he's encouraged him a lot, you know, because I know that when Luke guested on Pinal's stuff, Luke came and performed with Pinal. I saw Luke on stage with Pinal at, yeah. at Panthers. He had a big birdcage on his head, but it was, it was him. Um, and, you know, so he came out and did that, and I don't know. Like, obviously, they've made a second album, um, so Luke, yeah. Luke must be accepting the fact he's not going to perform live. But Luke just must want to be a studio guy. Uh, well, I, well I, I, from what I understand, Nick doesn't do much vocal stuff. He's probably just more of part of the production side of it. Yeah. And and, um, and Luke just sort of carries it on his own. But yeah, it's a shame. Um, there must be some reason beyond it, but I'm not, I'm not too sure. Yeah. But I mean, talking about that Luke Steele, Brian Wilson influence, um, around that time, Daniel Johns was very much citing his Brian Wilson influence and working with Van Dyke Parks. And I think Silverchair were a band we kind of glossed over from the 90s and 2000s. I think they're an incredibly influential band for Australian music. Oh, I totally agree. I think Daniel's a musical genius. We're sitting here in Newcastle talking about it as well. A bit quiet yeah. of recent times. He has been. Um, there's, this lo- there's this long talked about record he's written with Luke Steele. And. Uh, even, I would love to hear that. Yeah, it's been around for a long time. I, I asked Luke about it that night, actually. I said, what, what's happening? He's like, oh, it's, you know, it's coming together. We're you know, working on it. Um, and then last year it was sort of mentioned again. So it's, it's obviously there. There's obviously songs sitting there. Uh, well, apparently Daniel Johns is working on, um, working on his solo album with the stuff that the Silverchair record was going to be comprised of, but with the guy that produced um, Lord's album that was from Goodnight Nurse in New Zealand. Yeah, I think the solo album, we'll, we'll start to hear more about it pretty soon. Yeah. Um, I'm, I think he's just taken a, a break from it. Mm. I don't know too much about it, but uh, there's been rumblings of this solo record he's working on. and I, I don't know. Like He's the kind of guy I imagine is always working on something. It, yeah. just, it just depends just whether, whether it will be released or not. Yeah, I think so. And you spend so much of your life from age 16 working on this all-encompassing thing as a band and yeah. you'd need time Jesus I imagine his breaks would have been far and few between well they, they would have been yeah I mean we, you sort of forget that he was 14 when they appeared on the scene so he's been doing it a long time and, and, and deserves a break from you know it's one thing to write music but it's also what you're kind of committed to when you once you've released it mm, you tour so, and all yeah. of that stuff and tour and press and even doing press is just days of talking to people yeah you know? yeah but, um, I mean, look, Diorama was just a, a landmark album. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure Van Dyke Parks was... Fingerprints were on that as well. Um, and it took Silverchair to a whole other plane, really. Classic. It's just an absolute classic from start. And I to think Young Modern is like it was incredibly commercially successful, but for a lot of fans of Silverchair, wasn't as embraced. But I loved that album. It was wonderful. It was, I think, more experimental in a lot of ways. It was experimental, but it was incredibly like great pop songwriting, like yeah. Waiting All Day and Those Thieving Birds, and just even Young Modern Station. It was just really well crafted music. 
Yeah, he'd been clearly, um, well, since the motion sickness, really, was moving towards more, um, yeah, more left of center songwriting, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I use the word experimental, but he's just trying to break, you know, break the mold a little bit of traditional songwriting. And yeah, he was uh, clearly moving towards writing bigger, you know, sort of almost symphonic rock really yeah. he loves pop music from what i understand and mm. um loves a pop hook and he can write them um he always had that project with paul mack as well yeah associatives associatives are great i love that right yeah yeah it was clearly an outlet for some of his songwriting at that particular time but mm. it was a type of songwriting he eventually really incorporated into silverchair sound i think yeah you were kind of talking about that uh the other week uh, when we were talking about Tom Waits, because wasn't it uh, going out west? That's the yeah, dissociatives kind of going cover out west. Of that, um, yeah. Okay, in that like there's a live DVD they put out and they were playing at I think the Horton Pavilion. Yeah, and dissociatives covered going out west by Tom Waits, and he was just screaming his way through it. And so I think that at that time, death metal type. Yeah, yeah. But I just think at that time, like he was very much in the midst of Silverchair being a huge thing and he just needed that outlet. He needed that outlet for songs that weren't Silverchair based and he had an ally in Paul Mack that was just, you know what, let's just fucking blast out some songs and write together and play and tour and fuck around. Yeah. Yeah, it was at the right right time for him. I think um, that was definitely it. He would have had songs that didn't suit Silverchair sound at the time. Um, And I think it got to a point where... Silverchair sound was so different to to what it had been. Yeah, it was time to kind of call it quits because the the bass bass drum guitar format just wasn't going to cut it. You know, yeah. even in a live sense, wasn't going to create what what I think Daniel was sort of aiming for. Mm. So, um, I mean, I think even for the diorama tour, he had two keyboardists on stage to try to create that depth of sound. Mm. I um, kind of thought of him. Uh, similar to the pumpkins in a way that like each album was just its own thing it's like okay this is what we're style we're doing this album and like it wasn't always you know leaps apart like you could still hear it was the same band but Mm. it just had a distinct sound that was yeah in and of its time i think from from freak show to neon ballroom was probably the the clear jump to more yeah. yeah more epic songwriting I think even between Frog Stomp and Freak Show, there was like uh, you could hear a lot of different influences that yep. sort of came in. Mm. Like it was similar music, but I don't know. There was more pop. Like you had like pop song for us rejects. Like that could be. Okay. And some of the songs like are a... Freak Show. Freak Show as well. I could. I could. I could hear some Smashing Pumpkins influence as well. Speaking of Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. Yeah. I think he would have been a fan of of them at the time. I think, like particularly, he was you know, he was a grunge kid, Daniel. So he was mm. he would have liked them, and obviously liked Nirvana. And, he, and I assume that like the theatrics of the Pumpkins might have been something that that would have been interesting to him at the time, because I guess that's was sort of something that put them apart from some of the other sort of mm. grunge early '90s bands. When a door came out and. Billy was there in his fucking shaved head and his massive, like, trench coaty black dress thing. Holy crap. That was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. I think I think Daniel and Billy probably have a lot in common as songwriters, I think. They probably think in similar terms as well. Um, you look at kind of their evolution as songwriters and 
starting with a particularly raw abrasive sound and then building it into something that's a bit with a lot more scope. Daniel's held his image together a little better. I think Billy recently appeared on the cover of a cat's magazine, like a cat lovers magazine in Seattle. And, um, Hey, I love my cats. Exactly. (laughs) But he, he was, he was there smiling, shaved head with two cats and it was a cat magazine. And like he's on, no, it wasn't on his head. Um, (laughs) I don't don't think it's so much the cats. I I think it's more so the wrestling, the the Jessica Simpson, definitely the fucking wrestling in the Veronica from the Veronica. Oh my god! Yeah, apparently he's got his own wrestling show happening. That I think I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. back to Australian mm. though, because we could do a Smashing Pumpkins episode easily <laughs> between yeah, fucking any of the guests we've got on. Like Smashing Pumpkins are very over- overarching influence on a lot of people. Am I alone in my like of motor race? I yes. really like motor race. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Um, Oh, yes. I liked one of their songs. I liked their first record. It was really good. Well, they they were kind of destined for big things as well. There was a lot of hype around Motor Ice. Motor, motor Ice. Motor Ice. I mean, that's what ruined them. Um, <laughs> you gotta watch out Motor We ice. did the Grin Spoon episode. Way more than normal ice. Motor Ice, as they became known in the industry. Um, the Motor Ice Five. I went to a, I went to a Motor Ice album launch in Sydney once. That's right. It was at um, Fox Studios. Mm. I forgot about that. Is yeah. that the second album? The it was the whatever the last album was. And oh, it just... the last album did not do well. No, I think that's pretty much the end of them. But yeah. um, they they were writing, you know, big sort of commercially orientated. Yeah, yeah. No, no, not, I'm not saying that in a negative way, but it was. They're not taxi ride. Ooh, they're, they're, they're in the in the vehicle behind them, probably. <laughs> they're the trailer. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? <laughs> they're, they're tailgating taxi ride. No, no, they weren't taxi ride. But oh, you'll no. hate when I say I loved the second Lotel record. I thought that was awesome. The Lost Thing. I didn't even know there was more than one. Yeah, um, the second Lotel record is this amazing pop masterpiece that I would consider, like, in the vehicle behind I personality. Once Lotel CD, oh, really? yeah. CD single maybe at um. The Entertainment Center, perhaps, mm. and Sunk Lodo and mm. some other band. Maybe Super Heist, actually. Definitely Sunk Lodo. I'm not sure who else plays. See, I think it's a strange fucking quasi world where Sunk Lodo and Super Heist can be considered more respectable than Motor Race oh, I and I, I didn't say that. Oh, no, but I think that is a general opinion. I know you didn't say that. Oh, Although I do think Sunk Lodo did some good stuff. Yeah. The first album was not so great, but... The second oh, one was really good. They had one album that was really, really epic. Yeah, um, sec- the, the second one they released. With crazy artwork on the front. It was yep. almost like, it's a, like a dark brown sort mm. of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. some sort of yeah. imagery on the front. Yeah. Um, there was a few songs on that that were really heavy, really tight, really, yeah, really big rock they songs. They were a good band. Like, yeah. Yeah, they were. Yeah, I liked yeah. Sun Clover at the time. But I think we're delving into the murky depths here. We've covered the most... Um, well, I, I think we probably haven't talked about some of the bands in the 2000s that are fairly big influences now. For example? The Drones. Yeah, The Drones. Oh, yeah. Like fucking Absolutely. amazing bands um, that sort of you know started in the early 2000s. Very iconic Australian sound. Oh, absolutely. You know, very literary. Still yeah, only I guess now. Probably a good description. Still yeah. only now in in the 2010s, just releasing their best stuff. You know. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that I hate to harp on about UMI because oh, as if you hate to harp on. Well, about I don't hate UMI. on it, but I don't want to sound <laughs> like I'm retreading ground. But there was this one show at the end mall that I went to see where UMI headlined. The Vasco era opened. Who are a fucking great, yeah, sort of blues rock band, and the Drones 
were on second and then you were mine. It was like, that's one of the best shows I've ever been to in my life. <laughs> like three absolutely amazing bands on the same show. Yeah, I think the Drones are the one of the best bands on the planet at the moment. Yeah, uh, amazing. Um, I loved I See Seaweed. Uh, Havilar, I think, is a masterpiece. I don't know whether I've, I like the most recent one more than Havilar, but, you know, I'm splitting hairs in saying that. Uh, I thought Havilar in particular, with, like tracks like I'm the Supercargo and, and Nail It Down are just absolute masterpieces. And, you know, he, he's a center league of his own. I've never heard an artist like him in my entire life. He just doesn't give a fuck, and that's what makes it so good. Yeah, but he's... Uh, he kind of has this. He sort of always seems like he's half pissed. I think it's just his personality and the way he's on stage. Mm. Well, and I think he's kind of got that Turner phrase, like kind of we we're talking about Paul Kelly before, and I think I guess Tim Rogers Nick, Nick is, is much the well, same, but also Nick Cave and yeah. like Tex Perkins. That yeah. sort of yeah, it's just that mix. Mm. You'd put him in. You'd put him in the barrel of Nick Cave, Tex Perkins, that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, definitely, absolutely. Um, I think he, I couldn't rate him highly enough. You know, he's. His uh, as a lyricist, I mean, he's just he, like another one of those artists I hear you know, as a writer myself, who's someone that tries to construct sentences and whatnot. I can't do that too well at the moment, but I hear I hear lyrics from their songs and I think, how did he think of that? You know, particularly on his solo album, Strange Tourists. There's uh, there's a song that goes for 16 minutes. I think it's. Well, they're all really long songs on that record. Yeah, well they are. Yeah, yeah. long like rambling verse. But it's not it's not this stuff that's just it's just knocked together. It's like it's it's sort of poetic. Uh, it's, it's literary. Um, he's you know he's just in a class of his own. Um, when we finish talking about the drones, can we rope? Um, speaking of poetic and literary, uh, rope Augie March into this because I think they deserve a mention. Uh, my well, speaking of Augie March, my first exposure to Augie March was. Uh, and it's relative to Australian music was probably in like 98 or so mm, yeah and it was when uh, something for Kate hosted Rage and I think they played Century Century Sun and so I went out and bought that EP uh, mm. I think it was uh, Thanks for the for no, the Mems that was pre pre first album oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. it was before the first album and yeah so they released that EP then I think they released Asleep in Perfection yeah. uh, after that yeah then they released Sunset, Sunset Studies Sunset. which had yeah. you know Tulip, Asleep in Perfection holding your roof on it Sunset Studies and that's just enough. a fucking beautiful oh, no beautiful space. album yeah oh. well the classic that everyone goes oh my god that's just a lush Mm. Lush mm. song. Gonna die. But, but yeah, like I haven't really listened to too much of their stuff. Like that first Augie March record and the early EPs, yeah. I flogged to death. And I have listened to all their stuff since, but none of it's really uh, connected as much. I still like it. Like it's yeah, yeah, brilliant, yeah. but I it hasn't really hit me emotionally. I yeah. I love Augie March to the death. I think every single one of their albums is is great. Yeah, um, I mean, really interesting. If you're looking at a band's career, they're a really interesting case study because they just sort of they had disappeared almost, and then yeah. came back with this absolutely mammoth commercial success. It was great to see them come back and have that success. Um, it seemed to peter off pretty quickly. I know the the, the follow up album to so that wasn't wasn't a, a big. That the hit. one with like Penny Whistle and stuff. Penny Whistle, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought that was that was a great album in the in the pantheon of great classic Augie March albums. But I think they're success commercially was just a, was a one-off thing well it appeared to be yeah um it was this they're a band that probably deserved to be successful from their first release oh yeah but if you're talking about deserve to be successful mm. that's like a 
That's like an unmarked graveyard of bands. Oh, <laughs> it is, yeah. Before I cut us off and go 2010s, because that's like, I mean, it's not classic rock, but it's certainly going to get there one day. Um, I don't think we really touched on something for Kate a lot. Who are hitting their twentieth anniversary, twenty first anniversary? Twentieth, I think. Twentieth, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Amazing band. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, fantastic live acts. Uh, I, my strongest something for Kate memory is probably a gig at the Bar on the Hill where they experienced some sound difficulties, and it wasn't apparent to the crowd, but I think there were issues with the foldback, and um, Paul kept blowing up throughout the gig, and. Uh, at one point actually threw his guitar at the guitar tech was just like this is fucked and he threw the guitar and the guitar tech's caught it above his head and he was really worked up you see the rest of the band Steph and the drummer were sort of like just sort of like backing away from him a little bit oh know? yeah and um, he's an intimidating guy he's pretty big he's pretty a, fucking he's, big he's eight foot tall actually Jesus bit, bit of trivia for you that's um, lurch right there <laughs> yeah but um they just great gig, and anyway, at, towards the very end of it, you know, after about ninety minutes or whatever, he said, "Oh, I'm really sorry about tonight," and he got all apologetic. He was like, "Oh, we had some sound problems, and you know, it's not no one's fault, you know, but really sorry that we didn't play the best show." He's like, "You know what? Um, we're just going to play until you guys want to go home. We're just going to keep playing," and you can see the other two members sort of look at each other and go, "That, that ain't fucking happening." Like we're going after the encore, mate. Like. And then, I didn't think I was there. You had that gig? Yeah. yeah. And, the, and what happened was he, he finished it, he walked off stage and they followed him. They came back and did two songs and he wanted to keep playing and obviously the other two were over it. They are like, no, we, we've done our show. And uh, he, he like went, he was sort of like yelling at them, going, come on, come on. And they walked off and left him there. He went, oh, fuck it, I'm going to keep going. He grabbed his acoustic guitar and I uh, just started saying, you know, what do you guys want to hear? And everyone's just calling out songs. Everyone's like, I'm Pinstripe, Pinstripe. Yeah, yeah Pinstripe. Um, <laughs> Truly was the big one at the time that he kind of he didn't always do Truly live, but if, if he did it, it was like a really big deal. So everyone's like, calling out, Truly, play Truly. And uh, so he did that. And um, he which, probably which did it. Which, for those that may not know, is a, a cover. Yeah. Of, uh, is it like a late 80s, 90s? So I've actually never looked up who I knew it was a cover. Hazel, I think was the band's name. Okay, so it's yeah. pretty underground. I yeah, I, I knew it was a cover. There's no one yeah massively popular. Mm. Fuck him. <laughs> fuck Hazel. What a shit eye color. No, I mean like one those who don't know, but yeah, fuck oh. Hazel. <laughs> I didn't know he would. I mean that. Oh, just every, all in sundry. <laughs> but um, yeah, they're they're a great band. I I first saw them at home back in probably two thousand. Like beautiful sharks, sort of era. It's funny, the last was, time we saw them at Home Bake, they actually had sound problems and were 20 minutes late to their set. And just how good was electricity? Oh, electricity was fucking oh, yeah, great. That was, show, that show, um, they closed with electricity, and it was fucking amazing. Yeah, I could have done with it with another half an hour, another hour. Yeah, yeah well, I've probably got a couple of something for Kate stories because they were probably one of the first um, bands I got really into as a as a young kid. And I remember actually at Steamfest in Steam Maitland Fest. Uh, buying the CD single for Electricity at Kmart at Maitland. Yeah, yeah. and uh, listening to it on my Discman at Steamfest. Um, yeah, but but also I did see them maybe in 2006 or 2005, uh, maybe when Desert Lights came out and they played the Workers Club or Panthers or whatever, Nova it was maybe called at the time, um, and Death Cab for Cutie. 
actually supported them. Yeah. And like that's crazy now to think that yeah, like Stroke supporting UMI. I wasn't at that show, but I remember that gig. Yeah, we go to it though. Well, Dylan and I went, and it was like, man, this is yeah, this is crazy. Good. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> we were like really into Death Cab at the time, and also in in the yeah. song for Kate. So yeah. So moving on, I mean, they're they're doing the 20th anniversary, and they're obviously a classic Australian band. But uh, we can talk about, I guess, the last four years for 2010s. But what would you consider a classic band these days? Classic Aussie rock. Well, maybe just before. <laughs> it time starts now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we skip British India. Oh, uh, God. They're a damn good Australian yep. band. I skip so many amazing Australian bands. Like, really great pop rock songs. Yep. And from their first album, they've just kept hitting it since then. Mm. Like, yeah, really yeah. strong. Agreed. Yeah, they're great. Tying back to the Easy Beats. I mean, Harry Vander was a big influence on them. He sort of um, has been their mentor and he... Um, they pretty much made their albums in his studio in Sydney. Uh, I think he produced them as well. Yeah, British India are consistently very, very good. On to the last four years of bands you might consider classic one day. I'd, I'd probably say Tame Impala. It's probably hard to say this early in what's classic. Well, I think Tame Impala have sort of gotten there in some sense. I, I'm, I'm not like a, the oh, biggest... popularity-wise, I think. Popularity-wise, yeah. I think given that they're doing this the psychedelic thing... I think it's a, it's clearly a timeless kind of music. Yeah, and I, I think so. I think that Lonerism could potentially be an album that people are listening to in twenty years. I agree. They haven't, they haven't, you know, uh, pushed the envelope or anything like that. But uh, certainly, it's 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 a good album. It's it's beautiful to listen to. Well, if you're comparing it to something like ACDC or Cold Chisel at the time, which we're doing, it's very, very much its own thing, you know, and not not relying on of feeling content in another genre. Like it was feeling its very own thing. Team Impala does feel like it's harking back to a lot of. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. It's definitely derivative of, of certain sounds, but. But, you know, it's one thing to take an influence and then actually write good songs with it. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, and they, they do that. Another Aussie band I, I have massive raps on is Papa vs. Pretty. Papa vs. Mm, Pretty. Pretty, great. Yeah, and um, their new album's really good. I've only had a couple of listens to it, but, um, I mean, their front man is just a phenomenal guitarist. Mm. I remember the first time I saw them live, he walked out with a, a Dinosaur Junior t-shirt and uh, I knew it was going to be a good time. And, <laughs> and it was. He's got some mascus about his, about his guitar solos. And um, yeah, and a, and a voice that's sort of almost like a you know it's sort of Tom Yorkish really when you hear him in full. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I think he, he, they're really young, but he's got the potential. Whether it, he continues on with that band or whatever his sort of plans are, uh, he's a really phenomenal rock muso. So mm-hmm. whatever he does in the future, I think will be will be fairly good. Oh, totally. Yeah. Thoughts so. pointing. Uh, I haven't really listened to much of Papa vs. Pretty. Not so much Papa vs. Pretty, but Australian bands you consider maybe classic from the last four years so far? Uh, well, I think Tame Impala is one that sort of came to mind immediately. Mm. Uh, other than that, um, I'm not really sure, to be honest. Ballpark music? Yeah, like I think Ballpark music are a fun band. So I really wise, fucking love good. No, I really fucking love them, as you know. But... Uh, 
But yeah, like I, I don't know if they'll be classic in a couple of years' time. Yeah, I, I don't know if they, they will be. Well, not not yet anyway. I mean, yeah, I, I like mean, I'm not discrediting them in any. I think way, they show a lot of potential. Yeah, their songs are catchy. Um, yeah, it's sort of there's been a few bands like them where they come up. There's lots of people on stage. It's a big. It's a big. You know, mostly a live thing. Where yeah, so then a record. Oh, very thing. much so. Um, I've seen them live and I, th- I think they're great as to whether I've heard a song that I think will be around in 30 years in some great way. Hard to say. Yeah. It's hard to like, say. Like, I think it's probably tough trying to talk about classic stuff that's came out in the last four or five years because y- you don't really have the time and perspective to make that call. You can sort of say these are the bands that mm. I'm listening to at the moment that yeah. are probably going to go on to th- big things, but I don't yeah. know for sure. I think you, you can hear elements of a band if there's a genuine, genuinely... Uh, you know, undeniable level of uh, of talent for songwriting. Um, you can make an educated guess that you know. Yeah, well, I think like I don't know, Violent Soho, uh, definitely yeah. on that on that list, perhaps. Yeah, and very much so. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of other Australian artists off the top of my head. I know that Del- Delta Riggs, they're doing some good yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You saw Melody Pool at. Um, oh yeah, yeah. She's night. beautiful. Yeah, um, fantastic voice, great songs. Yeah, speaking great of solo female songwriter, Courtney Barnett. Oh, of course. Yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard much of her stuff yet, but I know she's just done worth a look. Worth a look. We uh, uh, got to see her play on New Year's Day, actually, yeah. this year. Um, Playing with UMI. Yeah, at the the Vic Hotel. It oh, was, okay. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, yeah, nice. Mm. She's beautiful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's lots of, there's probably quite a few solo artists that have got the potential to go on. And yeah. That have kind of emerged in the last couple of years and it's yeah. sort of up to them, you know. I kind of think it's risky business to make mm. that sort of call at this point. You sort of just need to. Sorry. I think of all the modern bands, and we've already talked about the Jones, but I think I, you know, I could say with some certainty that they're going to kind of become a real cult, oh yeah for sure band in the future. I think the next few generations will, whether they're ever as big as you know uh, Led Zeppelin or whatever, probably not. But they'll, they'll have a pocket. Well, well, I don't think they'll have this sort of crossover that say Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds did because it's just a different time. But I think so, yeah. but um, but but yeah, like I think certainly as far as Australian music goes, they'll they'll be remembered, and they're they're pretty big in Europe. Like I yeah, think, they are. Yeah, and a, a lot of um, I know they're not an eighties band, but a, a lot of those um, sort of eighties Australian bands were a lot bigger in Europe than what they mm. were in Australia. Like mm. it was sort of that sound. For, for whatever reason. Well, sort of like kind of popular. Parler and like the Temper Trap are doing that at the moment, like bigger overseas than they are here, certainly. Yeah. And, and probably Cut Copy as well. Yeah. Like, they're really, really big overseas. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I mean, I actually really love the Temper Trap. You know, I think they deserve every every bit of their fame. They've got some really uh, great songs. So um, I fell off the wagon after Sweet Disposition, but... Oh, really? Yeah, I kind of like the rest of the stuff, but never, nothing lived up to what I felt about Sweet Disposition. I really, li- I really like the second album. Mm. Um, that's uh, the Trembling Hands. Yeah. Like, massive chorus. Like, his, his voice is uh, it's fantastic. I remember seeing them at the Cambridge back when they... I don't know if you guys have heard their first EP, but no. it, was like, it was like raucous power pop. Mm. Um, I need to hear that song then. called... I love raucous power pop. That's what they were. Like, when, when I heard their debut album, I was like... This isn't the same band. Like it's, no. it's that different. Um, I want to hear it then. Jesus. Yeah, it's a song called "My Son," a song called um, "Peter Parker." Hmm. It's only I think it's only four tracks, but it was this really like loud, 
a little bit like kind of abrasive the way he's sung yeah nothing like how he sings now yeah. uh, you can you can recognize as being the same voice but it's someone you know in a totally different band it's that different and i remember i heard that their debut album and i was really keen to hear it because i loved the ep i remember chatting to chatting to them after the gig and stuff at the cambridge and i put on the album and i was like what the hell is this yeah like, it's that different uh, to what well, I was expecting, anyway. A band, a band that I think are, are huge in sound, but should have been bigger and on their own was um, Sons of Rico. Like I think their first album is really fucking good. It's very Tame Impala esque, but even tighter than what Tame Impala were doing on their first album. Yeah, okay. But God, they're good, and I can't get enough of that album. Especially the second half. The first album, half was okay off the first album, but the second half just has. Some amazingly epic, almost Tame Impala slash ELO kind of songs. I don't even know who that band is. I was going to say, I've never heard of them either. Go look up Sons of Rico's first album with the ice cream on the front. It's fucking amazing. I love so it. When, when did that come out recently? Uh, about two years ago. Really good. Like, absolutely fucking killing me. Like, I love that record and I want them to absolutely burst out. But it was around the time of maybe... Just after the first Tame Impala record came out, mm. and it's very much Tame Impala style meets ELO and a little bit more pop at times, especially in the back half of the album. Yeah, okay. But huge harmonies, huge guitars, just a fucking amazing album. I love it to death. But then again, I like Motor Race and I like Lotel's second album. So what do you know from my. Yeah, well, yeah. You know? I mean. <laughs> like, I'm a huge fan of. You've got to take the good with the bad. I'm a huge yeah. fan of pop. I was going to say, actually, I heard a, a new Aussie album the other day, which has blown my mind. And I don't know if you guys are into them, but if you like Nick Cave, you might be, is Wagons. Wagons oh, yeah, are great. New, wagons yeah. was on my list, actually. Yeah. We heard the new Wagons album. Yeah, wagons it's amazing. Good. It's phenomenal. And didn't uh, uh, Mick, um, Mick Harvey? Mick Harvey produced like, it. Like, produced it. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Didn't know that. Oh, I, I actually had no idea how good they were. I, I, I had the first album. It was, it was sent to me to review, and I probably listened to a few songs. I was like, yeah, it's cool. And then never never really returned to it just because sometimes you, you, you know you're done with stuff because there's so much to listen to and then um, I got sent a preview link to the new album to review it and uh, from the first song I was like this is epic yeah. like absolutely epic like the, the arrangements the instrumentation and I, I don't know I'm hoping they're not, they're not doing a kind of a stripped back thing did you hear the lots. solo record that Henry brought out maybe like no. two years ago no um uh, Alison Mockhart, like he's on, like from the Kills. Yeah, Mossart. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mossart. Yeah, mm. yeah. She's on. Um, yeah, she does like a sort of duet with him, and he's that's pretty like, cool. Wow. Yeah, like it's a really good. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so we started just after midday. It's now three thirty. So we've perhaps talked for a bit longer than we thought we would. But I just thought maybe we could finish off with bands that are great from Australia that we've perhaps glossed over or haven't really had a chance to mention. I'd have to say the Triffids. I mean, we mentioned them briefly. Um, they're a band I got into probably three or four years ago properly. And, uh, you know, I think David McComb is right up there as one of the best. And Have you heard his solo album, Love of Will? No, I haven't. Check it out. It's really good. Oh, I imagine I like it. I've loved everything I've heard. I think it actually started similar to Be Suburban because like, they started re-releasing their albums, sort of, uh, I guess, remixed or remastered or something. And like I said, a, a pack of the first three uh, to review um, Born Sandy Devotional and uh, Into the Pines. Which is kind of the big one. I guess so. I guess, like, if they had a commercial hit, I guess that was it, you know. But uh, I've become a massive fan of them. Um, and again, I, I mean, I had, you know, ranted about Paul Kelly, but 
some of David McComb's uh, turns of phrase and his sort of poetry and lyricism. I mean, he's right up there with Leonard Cohen in some ways. Like he, there's, there's a song of, I think it's off Born City Devotional called Life of Crime. It's just got some lines in it that are just out of this world. He's a, he's a phenomenal lyricist. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I got to see him live. I know my uncle saw him do a solo gig in like a little uh, London pub or something when he was living in London, which I'm very jealous about. But uh, yeah, the Triffords are, I mean, hugely underrated, really. I know Paul Kelly's a big fan and probably had a big influence on Paul Kelly to some extent. But um, if, if any band has ever sort of captured the essence of Australia, uh, it's probably the Triffids, I'd say. It's funny, it's funny how Wide Open Road travels, though. Like, the Bob Evans stolen songbook covered Wide Open Road, and um, even Morgan Evans, the Newcastle country singer-songwriter, mm-hmm. covered Wide Open Road as, oh, a, as a bonus track on his new EP yeah. the the album. Pan- the Panics did it for a... Um, yeah. Was it for Triple J or something? Yeah, or it's yeah, funny how that song travels. Maybe? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good song, but I mean, not one of my favourite songs. No, it's not yeah. their best, but it's funny how that song... Is it Lonely Is The Night? Or, mm. I don't know, there's one of those songs that's like really haunting. Yeah. Like, a lot of them are haunting, but there's one in particular that I'm trying to remember the name of. Um, there's oh. a, yeah, there's a few oh. that are... There's a few that... I mean, I think he just... And there's his voice. It's a combination of the voice and the instrumentation, but... And it's it's the hardest thing to describe, really, but their, their music often just sounds so inherently Australian. There's something about it. Well, a similar thing is definitely the go-betweens we didn't mention. Yeah. They deserve a mention. Mm. Amazing songwriters. Absolute classics. Yep, absolutely. Smudge. Smudge, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, I think Smudge is really important because it's kind of like a, you know, sort of a, a pop rock, mm-hmm. um, indie sort of sound, and obviously fairly influential on the world stage I with agree. Evan Dando and, yeah, yeah. and you know they've done a couple of smudge songs like the outdoor type mm-hmm. and um Divan like it's yeah like I think smudge were really good There's a hunter connection there one of the smudge guys lives in lawn I believe yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and um I remember seeing lemonheads at uh, the metro maybe a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and smudge supported and there was a lot of drunk guys, maybe a couple of years older than us, that were being majorly obnoxious, going, that's Allison, that's Allison from Allison starting to happen. And it's like, dude, shut the fuck up. They're playing. We're trying to listen. It was really awkward. Uh, but I think one of the other great Australian bands we didn't mention is Frenzel Rom. Frenzel Rom! Oh, I saw Frenzel at Dog Bite in Maitland. Did you guys remember Dog Bite? I do. Yep. They can go, but I do remember. Yeah. Um... So, so dog. Uh, sorry, friends what of year Ron. was that? Uh, I, I tried to work this out. I think it would have You'd been late nineties, sure. Two thousand, yeah, no, two thousand ish, two thousand one. No, before I was before two thousand. Okay, ninety eight or ninety nine. Remember they played up in the Hunter around two thousand one. Well, they were touring a Men's on a Camel was the album that yeah. just came out. Yeah. Um, Pollyanna supported them. All they were. Pollyanna. Yeah, yeah, they were great. Um, Lemon Suck and all that. Um, Black Bear, I think, was the song that they, was off that album they released. Bear. What's his name? The, the singer from that band went on to be uh, Chris Cheney's guitar technician for many years. And that little boy grew up to be <laughs> a guitar tech. But but obviously Chris Cheney wouldn't have any slouches touching his guitar. So I always saw it as being like a really that was quite prestigious. prestigious. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's Matt something. I think, but I can't remember his name. Storch. Um, <laughs> Storch. Was that the previous guest? Yes. Yeah. Um, they played, and there was a band on at probably 1 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, their only single, I think I'd, I'd I think I'd first seen them on Recovery, and uh, it was yeah, 1 p.m. It was 
The single was called Sweater. And it was Eskimo Joe. Christ, Nick. Get and, it's the right. <laughs> and it's their only yeah, good the song. Fireworks Factory. <laughs> and it's their only good song. <laughs> well, I had that. What was, the, what was the one that was a play on the Rolling Stones? Um, choose uh, Ruby Wednesday. Ruby uh, Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look, good, I, think, I think Eskimo I've Joe had their place. EP, I quite like some of Eskimo Joe's stuff. Yeah. I don't think they were terrible. Oh, Except I'm, for Black fingernails wow. red wine that was a big divergence really because they were horrible. going for a certain thing that was the reason that was the place they were going I, I don't know what they were going for I, I it's it reminds me of a mystery to me yeah <laughs> yeah that's true because a song of the city is a masterpiece I love a song I, of the I reckon city. I've, I've, yeah. the second I heard it I was completely blown away by it I listened Life to it a second time turn up yeah Turn up your radio. Stereo. Stereo. But, I mean, A Song of the City is, is, is a masterpiece. Yeah. Like, I think it, I listened to it a few months back for the first time in ages, and it's just, like, it's phenomenal. And I remember when I heard it, I was, like, it wasn't what I was expecting because I'd heard, I was familiar with Sweater, Eskimo Joe. And even though the, the Girl album had hinted at them moving into a kind of a more of a pop yeah. grandeur. Um, rather than being essentially a novelty band, which is sort of what they were, a novelty sort of punk pop band. I remember I heard that and I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, Are you it's, saying it's a song is a city you only heard a couple months ago? Or you no, it's to, it? for the first time. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I first heard it when it came out and I, I remember I interviewed the, um, the singer. Yeah, and Cav. Cav Temple. yeah. And I, I remember the first thing I said to him was, man, like, what? what is this album? I said, it's a, one of the best things I've ever heard. And he was like... Oh, thanks, man. Cheers. Like, I think they were pretty proud of it, but yeah. Um, and then everything after that, they just completely, completely stepped away from from that record. It's a, like eighties, I mean, synth sort of sound, like that eighties sort of. Well, the eighties synth sound. sound, I feel, happened on this this new record, Wastelands. But they were saying during the press for that that they felt like they'd gotten into what. Eskimo Joe should be and it was Stadium Rock and it was this after Black Vinegar Nails Red Wine they started becoming a parody of themselves and they acknowledged that yeah yeah which is why they went kind of synthy well that's well, that's what to me what that album was trying to be yeah Black Vinegar Nails Red Wine is, is them trying to be a big like 80s sounding band yeah yeah it's like you're 15 years too late uh, well, yeah. maybe don't do like, that A Song as a City was really nuanced and it was just it was just really pure songwriting. Like the, the songs weren't overproduced, they weren't overarranged. They were really stunning uh, hooks. Yeah. Which they delivered beautifully, and and it also had a lot of really nice. Um, you know, there was some beautiful imagery on the lyrics, and I, the I, first time I heard it, I thought this is an absolute masterpiece, and I still think it is. And you know, they, they in my opinion, they never topped it. You've got some odd similarities to things that I really, really love, like that song is a city album, the second S- uh, sorry, second end the second end of fashion album that yeah. I, I fucking love to this day and yeah. the Sleepy Jackson album personality, like there's certain albums that are certain quite underrated that I feel I was like, Oh wow, other people like now hearing that you like. Yeah. I'm a bit the same. I haven't yeah. met anyone else that likes Book of Lies by yeah. End of Fashion. Um, well, there's, there's a, a few bands that I think we've missed, though, that needs to be mentioned. Yeah. Oh, but if we... Oh, totally agreed, but, like, I feel like we're descending down a massive fucking stairwell of great bands that never received recognition, but Jebediah, we didn't talk about. We didn't talk about Jebediah, Blue Bottle Kiss. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely one of my favourites. Totally. Custard. Yeah, Custard. Yeah. And Ammonia. 
Ammonia yeah. were probably one of the bands that I got into massively yeah. in sort of the mid nineties. Yeah. Um, that first album, Mint Four Hundred, was just yeah. That was one of the first sort of albums that got me into sort of I guess you could call it alternative rock at the time. But um, I remember I was listening to that Ben Folds Five and yeah. maybe something for Kate. So I sort of got into all that around about the same time. Well, mentioning Custard, I remember they played um, that, that dog bite that Frenzel did as well. Oh, that was the other big band. The other one was an American punk band called... I just realised we were still talking about Frenzel. <laughs> and we hadn't even touched that. Holy shit. Well, I was, yeah. I was only... I mentioned them in passing, but... Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, Custard are a great one. Ammonia, a band I never probably got into um, because I wasn't listening to Australian music. when they, should, when they like, were. honestly, like I... Check out Mint 400. It's a really good album. Mm. Speaking of check out... Sorry, no, continue. No, 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 you're right. You're right. I always liked Frenzel. I was always casually a fan of Frenzel, but it wasn't until, weirdly enough, Smoko at the Pet Food Factory that I fell head over heels oh, from... It's an amazing album. Every like, song on that is I would, brilliant. Mm. Like, Smoko at the Pet Food Factory instantly climbed very fucking lofty heights my favourite Australian album some ever. people bag out that album fuck him no. like Rafe was caning it no that oh, album Rafe. and I was like that album Smoke like, Pet it's Food Factory is one of their brilliant. best every albums song. ever recorded there's, there's a fucking on, love it there's a song on it that I think is the best song they've ever released and I can't think of what it's called now it's gonna kill me it's not when the baby it's, smiles at me and go to Rio no, when I go to rehab I don't go to rehab there's one track I heard but attack no, it's not Bird Attack. No. That, that is great. That's right up there. Bird Attack is right up there. <laughs> but um, it's not like um... actually Frenzel again. I probably credit them with getting me into punk music. I'd have to say because like I had a friend in early high school who was into uh, it was into like I guess alternative music, but he really loved Frenzel Rom and true punk bands like the Melvins. And well, he was into he probably would have liked the Melvins. He was particularly into early Green Day. I remember mean, this like Green Day was his favorite band. He had all the early Green Day stuff. Um, Kaplunk and like he was into the really early early stuff. But he he also loved Frenzel. I remember he he uh, used to put on Meet the Family at his place and, and it was so far removed from anything that I considered to be good music and I remember just like hearing it I'd hear it a bit and one day I kind of went it's actually pretty cool like it's it's kind of catchy it's got good hooks um, it, like <laughs> when I first heard Mum Chains the Locks I was like I'd never heard drumming that fast I was like it's just noise I've never heard anything that offensive before and then after a while I was like this is great. Like, it's actually really, really cool. It's really, really good. And um, and Meet the Family I had on high rotation for, for probably 18 months, I reckon. Just listened to it once a week. Man's on a Camel was a, a decent follow-up. It had some good stuff on it. But, but Meet the Family, I mean, is another Australian classic, really, um, of all the stuff they've done. Uh, it's right up there. Uh, I'm going to look up a Smoko at the Pet Factory track list. Is this it? Yep. It is the song... Knuckleheads. Knuckleheads! You fucking knuckleheads! Yeah. I like football just as much as Nick. Yeah, it's a great song. Yeah. It's got two yeah. really good hooks in it. It's an amazing record. Um, Alvarez, Alvarez, Alvarez. <laughs> oh, Mummy Doesn't Know the Year. Nazi 500 Cigarettes, Cockroach, Light Switch, Knuckleheads, Back to the Suburbs, My Dearest Friends. Well, the, I, I interviewed Jay about the album, and there's was, was an awesome story behind Mummy Doesn't Know You're a Nazi. And it has something to do with... Oh, I hope I can remember it enough to give it... To do it justice, but... They had some guy harassing them online. And then they... Ended up... 
he might, oh, did he, th- he think he threatened them or something and they had to report him to the police and the police turned up and he was this kid that lived with his mum and was like abusing people and making, or maybe he ran like a racist website or something. I'm trying to remember, there's some awesome story behind that song. He, I think he maybe he ran a right wing website and he was this like online guy spouting all this bullshit. Yeah, he got it was just out. some kid. And it was a kid living with his mum. Just some fucking shit. Yeah, and your mummy doesn't know you're a Nazi, so the song yeah. it. But the album before, there's an awesome story with Frenzel where what was the one um, Forever Malcolm Young? Young? Yeah. 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 Um, they were broke pretty much. And well, as broke as, I mean, I think they were making money from being Triple J announcers, but. But as a band. Yeah, like, you know, they, they've never made millions of dollars, but. They were they went overseas to somewhere in Indonesia, and one of them they were in some casino, and Jay or someone put a bit on this roulette wheel, and he went he he won like this amount of money which he didn't realize how much it was, but it worked out to be like fifty or sixty thousand Australian dollars. Mm. It was in Bart or some it was like Thailand or somewhere, but he, yeah. He, uh, he won this massive amount of money and all of a sudden they had enough money to make a new album so he brought wow. it back and they just funded the new record that's they amazing literally, literally won it like in a casino that was a really cool yeah cool story yeah well I reckon that well Smoko is like one of their best albums they of their whole career it is oh, seriously Smoko is an amazing fucking album I reckon it's a throwback to Meet the Family in some ways where mm. they this they went back to being you know semi-political at least making some kind of social statement yeah, Which I think they, they turned a bit more of a, I don't know, maybe it's a generalisation, but after Meet the Family, it was more about drinking and kind of a bit more tongue-in-cheek. But Meet the Family had a lot of really, at a time, you know, in Australia when there was a bit, a bit of racism around and, and particularly in kind of in the scenes where of kids... Particularly just, in Newcastle is what you're trying to say. <laughs> wow. Well, in scenes, well, any city that, you know, listen, you know, white kids listening to punk who, who have p- potentially racist. And they, they were, you know, very much in the surf and skate culture and stuff. And, yeah, totally different and, thing. And, you know, some of my best friends are racist was a really, you know, pretty powerful statement. Yeah. Um, at the time, which to this day still has some gravitas, you know. Um, and I feel like, uh, I mean, Knuckleheads is a sort of a similar song, you know, um, is just ripping into people for being fuckwits, basically. But every fucking aspect of that album is, it's, like, amazing. It's tight, it's well-produced, the vocals yeah. and the harmonies, the lyrics, the statement, it's all, it's it's perfect, as it is, you know. It's and, you know, made by, made by a bunch of vegans, you know, in a... Pet food, they literally recorded in a pet food factory. Yeah, that's where the, where the album came from. It's, it's apparently it smelled of, 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 uh, you know, animals, chopped animals, basically. That's terrible. Um, and yeah, the guy's recording studio was in uh, was in this pet food factory. So. Yeah, I, I was I was very impressed by it when it came out. Yeah. Well, let's wrap it up. So, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Tell us where you could find more about uh, Nick Milligan, particularly Enormity. You can find out more about Enormity at uh, www.facebook.com/slash/enormitynovel, and the book itself is available at Abacus in Newcastle as a paperback, and also McLean's Booksellers on Beaumont Street and internationally on amazon.com though available on amazon.com and if you like e-readers it is a very very great book to get on your e-reader it's also well worth having in a paperback copy so if you have the opportunity to grab one please do also if you want to hear more from splitting cases if you haven't already head to facebook.com forward slash splitting cases and please leave us a review on itunes because that'll make sure more people can hear this inane shit thank you very much for listening goodbye Please.
Thank you.